Hello. Welcome to Unpacking Neuroqueerness. Welcome to another episode. This is your host, George Muniz Gunn. Today we have our very first guest on the show. Someone who has grown her up around me their entire life. And from that, sees autism from a very unique perspective compared to other neurotypicals. I'm talking, of course, about my dear sister, Luana Muniz Gund. Hi, Luana. Hello. What an honor to be here. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for being uh, the very first guest. Of course. I'm excited. Well, uh, I'm really excited. I have a lot of questions to ask you. Um, I wanted to start with how would you describe, just a general description, how would you describe growing up as a neurotypical with a neurodistinct brother? Um, I think our case is particularly interesting um, because, of course, as you've mentioned in the podcast before, you were misdiagnosed for 16 years. So growing up, we didn't have a vocabulary to, to talk about uh, the differences that we were facing um, every day. So what I, when I remember um, realizing that you were different, because, you know, when I was really little, I wasn't aware of, uh, I wasn't aware of, I didn't interpret the things that made you different as like, oh, he's different um, than, than people around me. It was just, you know, you, you were just my big brother and that's just who you were, you know? Um, it was until a little later when we had moved from our first home to our second home in Sao Paulo when I was around eight years old. I was starting to get a little bit older um, and so were you, and I remember, you know, I was, I was a really annoying little sister. I used to provoke you a lot. Um, I remember that. Yeah, it was, it was, it was fun times, you know, um, normal brother, sister stuff, sibling stuff, but I also just realized, um, that sometimes, like, you know, my being annoying little sister provoked really intense reactions, um. And at first I thought that was just normal. And I honestly, as messed up as it sounds, you know, I think I was like, you know, I, I wanted to provoke a reaction. So I didn't really think about it until I don't remember what argument we had. I don't know if it was me stealing your candy, not wanting to share candy, invading your privacy, you know, because your privacy was really important to you. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, if I would just bust in, in your room when your door is closed that provoked a really intense reaction for you and it was when you had a meltdown in the bathroom um and you locked yourself in the bathroom because i think you were just so overstimulated and overwhelmed and upset you know yeah. and i was like damn this is a really intense reaction for what i did and i was on the other side of the bathroom door thinking maybe maybe he is and I don't know how you feel about this word. I don't know how I feel about this word, but just for a lack of a better word, like, you know, he is special. He is different. Um, and maybe I should tailor my reaction, my, my like, my I, behavior towards that, you know? Yeah, I like, um, 
I like the word different better. Like, I feel like I used to use the word special a lot because I would hear it a lot. And, you know, it ended up resonating me. And it does have, you know, um, it has kind of a, a nice warm feeling to it. And I think I always kind of liked that about it. Um, but then I realized that it's also not great because, um, it, it kind of generalizes, uh, like the whole thing, what I, I don't like special needs. And now I come to realize I don't like special needs because it makes it sound like, cause it's like, you know, everyone else has human needs. And then the disabled have special needs. It's like, not only it's kind of separating them, but it's also kind of, um, it's assuming that all of their needs, like all disabled needs are the same. Um, yeah. And so like now I realize that. So now it's like, oh, okay, that makes sense. So now I don't use it as much anymore. Um, and I guess I always knew that it felt like it's one of those things. I always knew that um, it felt a little weird, but I couldn't really tell why. Um, and But I did like the warmth of it. And I do, and I, I acknowledge this, you know, um, I think in the, another episode I talked about this too. Um, and it, it's, um, I know that it's coming from a good place, like, um, a good place because it was meant to replace words that were a lot um, more ableist. Uh, and at the time, of course, it's what was used. And, you know, until now, it's still widely used by a lot of people, uh, including people that are part of the autistic community. And that's just because um, they don't, that's the only language they've heard their whole lives. So that's what they use. Um, yeah. So anyways, it's all like, when it comes to language, it's all a long process of like, unlearning and then relearning and understanding and everything. And, yeah. um, you know, when and, I, having, and, he, and having access to that education and having yeah. access to it Just as well, of course, to do too, which is awesome. Yeah. Is expand that access. Uh, but just one more thing about your question that I wanted to mention, I think that makes me and all of the people that love and surround you really upset, but I think it's important to talk about, um, which I also began to like solidify the idea that you did um, have, well, I guess we didn't know it was autism back then, but you know that you were different. Yeah, um, I knew that. Was when we went to the same middle school, but we, it was like different buildings because you were older. Um, yeah. And I had realized that that was a very bougie, preppy, white, ignorant, school but I didn't know because I was so little and like I was always so extroverted that I you know I had an easy time navigating that school and I remember you know we were going to switch schools and when I found out why you know and I don't know if you mind me sharing the story um I think maybe that's something that you can talk about in another episode if you want um about this horrific bullying incident that happened just like absurd you know like really really inhumane um yeah, and it was we... the first time that i thought to myself like jesus fucking christ you know like people are mean 
and people are picking on my older brother for what, you know? Uh, and then I kind of put it in a context of like a world because within our family, I realized it. But then I was just like, oh, okay. So this is like, you know. Uh, it's like outside like a, of our family too. Exactly. It's like a phenomenon. And stuff. Yeah. So that was when I started getting really, really pissed. Uh, and like more, uh, more dedicated to make at least your life easier at home because you didn't need an annoying little sister to come home to. Um, wow. After, I, you know. I really appreciate that. I mean, I think we had never really um, talked much about this, but, like, like that's really, that's really, um, really great for me. I mean, I really like being able to hear that uh, because... I don't think I, you know, I never saw that, like, that whole situation with the bullying. Like, I remember that very well um, from my perspective. But, like, it's very interesting to hear your perspective, too. And that's very, um, that's very revealing. Like, I mean, it all makes sense to me now, of course. But how, how, like... How core is that, that it was that experience, like it was you seeing that experience, me going through that experience, like through bullying, but like outside of our family, like that's what made you realize that, that I was different, like, and I was affecting me in society. Like yeah. that's what made you like, that's what was kind of a, an opening for you. So, like, you could just, yeah, like, it, not you just know, for me. Yeah. I think that's something, you know, as much as we'd like to, especially in this age, admit that we're perfect. We've never made mistakes in the past, you know. I was also very much learning, and I was just in my role of the little sister, and I think that I felt comfortable provoking and, like, having... Not I mean, provoking. yeah, it's but also like, what sisters do. Yeah, exactly. True. It's like normal sister stuff. But like, you know, um, I was more comfortable doing that inside the home because, you know, you were my family and I loved you no matter what. And, you know, we would always make up at the end of the day. Um, but when I, when I realized, and I was just doing it because, you know, I was your sister, not because you were different or anything like that. Yeah. So when I saw that, I think, because initially I think I was like pretty upset, you know, like because I didn't under, like I didn't understand you were different to me. You were just um, my older brother and I was really upset about switching schools because I used to have a good time at that school. And then it wasn't until I found out that I just started, I remember like clenching my fists at how angry I was at those, at those girls, girls and, yeah. you know, at those, bull the bullies. Yeah. Um, and that's when I realized, I was like, oh, so, like, it's, like, it's, I, I almost just, I was like, okay, so, nobody outside, like, nobody can, I, I don't know, like, I, I feel like I wasn't always the most understanding, you know, and I feel like that experience just made me, um, it made you more more understanding, like from because you could see yeah. it from the outside yeah. too. 
yeah, because at first it was just like I was, I was being kind of mean inside the home, you know, and I didn't see a problem with that. And then it was only when I saw it, like in perspective, I think. And no, but like you know, that wasn't really happening to other kids, and I just put two and two together, and it just made me so upset. And I started kind of realizing, you know, another thing of growing up with a neurodivergent brother is, you know, it's very much a non-conventional sibling relationship than what you see in, like, TV, you know, of, like, all the older, the older brother and the younger sister and stuff. Like, I feel like, in a way, it was really nice because, um, like, you can't, like, when my friends came over, you would play therapist with us. Like, you weren't afraid. uh, Yeah, I remember that. Break those social barriers or whatever um so that was really awesome um but yeah i mean it, it has it, it has its hardships and its blessings but as we've grown and whatnot um it's been a privilege to honestly have a neurodivergent person um in my immediate family because i think people can learn so much like so much from just being patient and like you know listening to autistics because, you know, like, I, in the way I see it, you know, like, there's so many qualities uh, that autistics have that neurotypicals lack, you know, particularly also, like, just honesty, you know, like, just no bullshit, no, yeah. no filter, just to say how you think, say how it is. Um, and so, yeah, that's, in short, to answer your question in a very long way. No, that's um, fantastic. I really love that answer. It's learning and unlearning, you know? Just like yeah. from inside the family and outside the family is really important to challenge your beliefs, um, to communicate with the neurodivergent people, you know, like hear from them. Yeah. And, um, yeah, constantly learn and unlearn. Exactly. Wow, yes, it's just, wow, like, I mean, you've come, clearly, you've come such a long way from, like, when you were younger in terms of, like, you know, I mean, we all have, because I didn't even know at that point either, but, like, I think our relationship as siblings has come a long way since then and there's so much more understanding now like that i have this diagnosis and this leads up to my following question but um that you know i've been so i've been doing like so much more research within the neurodiversity paradigm now and then i'm able to to pass it on to you um and and you know other family members too and so we're all more understanding now uh, and it's just so great, and um, it's it just really been, is. yeah. It's such a beautiful thing, and it makes me so happy and proud of you because uh, I don't know. I think that this is a different journey for many autistics, um, obviously. Um, but you know, being not being able to have that vocabulary to describe your experience until you're like well into your teenage years um, can set you back um, and understanding um, your self-identity 
And I think it, it's so awesome that you were able to find your place within this discourse and they're now building your platform because that's what we need more of. Um, I don't know if this is going to be one of your questions, but I wanted to mention this because obviously, you know, I was just a bystander to what was to your journey um, in, you know, learning that you're autistic, first of all, mm -hmm. what that means, how you're supposed to make sense of that and how you're navigating a world that's not built for you. And, um, so I don't remember, you know, I don't remember when I found out that about your diagnosis or anything, but I remember that it became more clear after we moved to the United States. And I think this is true of a lot of, uh, you know, uh, vocabulary I didn't like learn much about anxiety depression um you know yeah these um I don't even know how to categorize them but like these things until I moved here and like what really like really ticked me into like really just being an active participant in learning about because I was I like I wasn't learning so much as I was like unlearning in my early, in our early childhood. I was more trying to like not provoke and like not instigate reactions that I knew were like not fun for you or me or mm -hmm. the family, mom and dad. Um, but when I got to high school and people in our Bay area, private high school started, it was a very small group of people, but they used the word autistic a lot. In, like, a very negative connotation. Yeah, know? sadly, um, a lot of people. Like, yeah. It's, like, really, really, really so, uh, like, like, foul things, but, like, it, the intent wasn't there. It's just so dumb. You I know. know. They were, like, oh, stop being autistic. And, like, or and I'm just, like, you guys can't fucking throw that word around. You know what I mean? Like, just can't, like, you sound so ignorant. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they used to make problematic statements. And then I was also around the time that, you know, there was this autism and vaccine debate. And I oh was just God. like, oh, yeah. people don't know mm -hmm. anything and people need to be educated. You know, people need to be sat down because the thing is, is like they're not interacting with autistic people on a day-to-day yeah. -day basis. So it feels fine for them to say because there's nobody policing that. And so I was like, listen, like you guys all know my brother's autistic and you guys all love my brother. So it's just like, let's, let's sit down and have a conversation that needs to happen because like this is this can really negatively affect people this just creates a discourse around a lived experience that is just so problematic so that's what motivated me to create unpacking autism which is a website yes. that i created in high school um with the goal of educating my peers on what it not uh, you, nobody can understand what it's like to be autistic but I put videos of like what sensory overload may feel like, you know, just like trying to put people in neurodivergence people's shoes for a second, or just trying to like put yeah. the idea out there that like, Hey, like don't, if you don't know it, like don't just don't throw these words around. Don't be mean to people that are different, you know, because everyone's experiencing life in everyone's having everyone has issues you know everyone has stuff that they're going through and like why make that harder wouldn't you want to make 
things easier for other people when you want other people to make things easier for you so like you know that's what propelled me more into like just actually trying to be more uh like uh well versed yeah um wow i you know i really appreciate you telling me that and sharing that because i hadn't even realized i mean certainly not at the time uh, I don't think I realized how much you were, how much like you started advocating for me. Um, I remember when you made the website, like how I was really happy about that. And um, of course, you know, uh, I but I just I don't think I saw like what was going on behind the scenes, too. I don't I like I, I never saw like when you would like these moments that you were calling out your friends and stuff and. Like that makes me really happy to hear because like that's what uh that's what we need. Like we need other neurotypicals, particularly like family members and friends, spreading the word. Like it's it's not like it's not enough it's not gonna do enough if they only um if they only like talk to me or, or read my stuff or whatever. But, like, what they really need to be doing in addition to that, like you've been doing, um, is spreading the word and telling other people, too, and being like, hey, because cause if they don't spread the word, it's like, great, they know a lot more about autism now, but, who, uh, but like, their friends still don't. And if they spread the word, more and more people will know. Um, that's exactly it. And I think that's pretty simple, you know, I think that, it's hard and it's not always perfect, you know, because I think the people within the family context or friends or whatever have to unlearn what society has taught them. Um, and then you have to, and this is with anything, you know, with racism, with homophobia, um, xenophobia, you have to engage in these conversations when people are just like, you know, yeah. uh, throwing words around or making statements. It's better to just, to instigate these conversations, even if it doesn't turn out the way that you would like, like just to plant the seed in people's brains. Like, I feel like that's really what makes the difference. And yeah, it's like, it's the bare minimum I could do, you know, because I like it, it, you know, within a family context, maybe it's easier just because you have so much love and stuff for the other, for the other person. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's, it's difficult. Um, it's not an easy process by any means. And I think that it's, it's not a smooth one either. You know, um, it's not linear, but yeah, I think advocating, it's not even just advocating. It's just like listening yeah, really exactly. to the autistic community. Yeah. Like, it's a while because I'm a psychology major. So yes. I've been in an interesting setting, an academic setting where I'm learning about these things. And it's made me so disappointed. It's really disappointing to see the discourse around autism in academia because it's really brushed over and it's usually in the psycho psychopathology section. Exactly. And or or like near like and I'm just like, this is you guys aren't even like you're not even talking you're just like, oh, when it's the earliest it can be diagnosed. Like you're not even talking about like things that can be relevant to people that like in our age group that are like teach about stimming, teach about yeah. meltdowns, you know, teach about these things that people from the outside can 
observe and then be like, okay, now I know what they're doing. Because I used to be really annoyed by your sins. You know, I used I to know. ask you to not do them. I remember. <laughs> and, you know, it wasn't after I learned that that I was like, damn, like, I sounded like an asshole. Like, if that's just something that's, like, self-gratifying in the moment to, like, kind of take away from, you know, sensory overload or whatever it is that's going on, I have nothing to do with that. You know, it's like, what, like it, but it, it, it makes it easier to understand it. So I feel like a lot of people might have been in my position. And I just wish that that's the curriculum that people taught in schools. Um, and I think maybe we're seeing a shift. Uh, I'm going to, I have a class next semester about the history of disability. Um, and there's a full course now dedicated to autism spectrum disorder. So I think we're making like small steps. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's definitely a challenge. It's definitely a lot of work still needs to be done, but you know, podcasts like yours and like, um, uh, comorbid conundrums by Sam, um, are really important, uh, for people to have access to, I think, um, for sure, because it, it shows them a different perspective and, um, so many times, you know, I, I talk to people um, about like these things about like this this different perspective of, of autism and they're just mind blown because right. it's so different than what they've been ingrained to think their whole lives and um and you just touched on like uh something about autism research it is like that's another thing that you know has been a big um problem is that a lot of autism researchers they don't listen to autistic people and they don't they don't do see they do autism research from a neurotypical perspective oh, yeah the, the, the main point is the autistic the people that are conducting the autistic the research on autism aren't autistic no <laughs> like, they're not they are, yeah they're, what i mean and the thing is is like and i think that forgive me here and this is a learning moment um i would like to know the correct term to use for the spectrum that is autism. I think what we're talking more about here would be what was considered Asperger's or what was in the outdated terms considered higher yeah. functioning. So yeah, we can talk about that. Um, um, thank you for asking. Um, so yeah, Asperger's is what would now be called support level one autism. Um, but then, um, and so like support, the support needs are, is also replacing, uh, replacing the functioning labels, um, which were called high functioning, low functioning. So people used to refer to Asperger's and sadly, a lot of people still do refer to the former Asperger diagnosis as high functioning autism, but now like now i know to not use functioning labels uh, because high functioning invalidates because what what we high functioning basically invalidates the struggles of people that mask so much that they can pass as neurotypical but they're actually like so exhausted from masking and low functioning of course I mean, by itself, it already sounds pretty ableist, but um, it also invalidates, of course, the capabilities of those who may be considered low-functioning, maybe because they don't speak, but 
It ignores that the fact that they can write, you know, it ignores the fact that, you know, they can do other things. They're not necessarily low functioning just because they can't uh, fit neuronormative molds. Um, and so it's their support needs is the new language, I guess. There's um not, I guess, I know. Um, but, uh, so Asperger's would be support group one. Asperger's is considered now support level one autism. Support level. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, okay, yeah, that's what, uh, I'm mostly familiar with really. Like, yeah, uh, and it, the, yeah, it, it does yeah, vary. And like, I always try to be very mindful now in, you know, when I'm writing, or when I'm podcasting, I try to not speak for um, nonverbal, non high support needs, autistics. I try to always acknowledge, um, you know, that their experience of autism might be different than mine. Um, you know, still touching on the things that even non-speaking advocates themselves would, would uh, you know, they, they advocate for, but they do have a different perspective, like... Than, than mine, um, and, um... Well, I think that's with anything, you know, it's important not to generalize, but it is important to represent. Yeah. Um, so, that, there's a fine line between those, yeah. but... Um, it's important to also show that, um, that they can, they have platforms as well. Yes, uh, a thousand percent, a thousand yeah. percent. I think, I don't remember if this was something that you talked to me about, but I remember there was, a someone with high uh, an autistic with higher support needs and they were um nonverbal and uh they were in a wheelchair and they you know had primary caregivers and caretakers yeah um but it was only until like an interview with him that he was like he uh he i don't know how how well how the technology worked um, AAC. Yeah, I think he was, I don't know if he typed or how it worked, but it yeah. was, like, so, and he was just, like, you know, I can, like, I can, I, I can formulate sentences, ideas, like, I, I'm a full person, you know? Yeah. In, in this body, like, and I'm just sick of people speaking for me, you exactly. know? Like, exactly. And it's, and it's just so saddening that there's so many autistics around the world with this experience and throughout history you know it's just is such it's so it's so important that we have a change and i think we're seeing that um i think we're seeing that in media even though we're not there yet i mean it really it's like most most uh uh most issues we're facing today it's it's we're, we still have a long way to fight but True. i think uh what's just important to highlight too is like even after like immediately after your diagnosis um uh you weren't like you weren't catapulted into the world of, of um, neurodiversity yeah, exactly. exactly. It wasn't until recently, it was and a, yeah. almost thirty years of life that you found your voice within this community. You found your community. You found vocabulary to describe your experience. And, and so, even as like, it's crazy that as an autistic person, it took you almost thirty years. Yeah. To find that. Yeah. But I mean, it also puts in perspective that, especially that, like you know, it 
there is no time. There's no, it, it's just, it, uh, it's, it's a journey for very, for different people. It takes different amount of times. It happens at different stages of life. Um, but yeah, it makes me excited. Yeah, for that, sure. That, that you have that, that you have that autistic people have more platforms and are more. Yeah. Like uh, that's, that's what I really wish I had been able to come across like even sooner, like, cause you know, I got my diagnosis like 12 years ago, but I, like you were saying, I just, just recently came into this whole neurodiversity paradigm. And that is greatly because of the predominance of the pathology paradigm. Uh, and, you know, how that makes even autistic people think of their autism as a bad thing, which is like, probably, I think for the very beginning, like the first couple years, it's what I did. I didn't think of it as a ter terrible thing. Like it wasn't like that. But um, I, I only focused on the negatives. And it wasn't until later that I started discovering like all the positives and like, oh my God, the hyper focus and, you know, directness and all these things that are like, really good about autism. And that's, you know, I can do better than neurotypicals. Um, and that, that started really opening my mind. Um, and uh, so there's something, I mean, we it's actually very related to what we were just talking about you uh, studying psychology. Uh, did having a neurodivergent brother influence your decision to help, uh, I mean, to study psychology? I think, yes, definitely. Maybe more indirectly than directly. I was, of course, like I said, you know, it's more of a bystander to your experiences. And, you know, how I was deciding my career path. Oh, one sec. Technical difficulty, one second. So, as I was saying, um, I think what catapulted me into the world of psychology was more my own experiences in therapy and whatnot. But I think I was always interested in... Um, in you know, psychology based off our experiences at home for sure, but it wasn't like a direct connection, like, oh, because uh, it definitely influenced me, just in short, for sure. Nice. Yeah, yeah, I figured it, there was probably some some influence, uh, but I was curious because I think I had never yeah. asked you that before. So, yeah, it was, it's hard not to... Um, go through those experiences and not want to like work on like you know educating people I guess especially about like psychological things yeah and you'd say the um, it's still pretty pathologized right like at the because I I would I mean like inside the the university system a thousand percent. That's what I was going to... Um, within my clock... Hold on, sorry. I'm just going to make a little less noise here. Um, 
Yes, academia is still has a very much pathologized discourse around autism. Unfortunately, in this, yeah, especially in the psychological field, which is one of the most important fields that is taught, you know, um, to learn about autism, it is really disappointing to see, um, like, the content that they teach us. And, I, you know, I've been in developmental class, introduction to psychology, abnormal psych, not abnormal, which is now called psychopathology, and they all have, like, one Google slide dedicated to autism and it's literally nothing relevant it's information that you that like the students won't do anything with they won't learn they'll just memorize for the test but they're not actually actively learning yeah it's not going to help their interactions with neurodivergence you know yeah that's that's too bad that's really uh that's that needs to change for sure 100 percent, and hopefully you know with people i've met though what's made me more hopeful is I've met people in my field in psychology students who are you know the next generation of thinkers and they're very much more um progressive and aware than you know the teachers so those are the future generations of and me myself included you know yeah those are the the future generations of psychologists and teachers and educators so that makes me hopeful yeah yeah, that's that's good. That that makes me hopeful too. Um, and I'm sure a lot of other neurodistinct people also uh, that are listening to this. Um, yeah. Well, I had I think what I was gonna ask you next, you might have kind of already answered, um, which is great. Uh, it was about how you felt when I finally got that diagnosis at 16. Um, but I think you touched on that a little bit. Yeah, I just brush over it again, but basically, like I said, you know, I was, you know, had my own life in my head, so it wasn't like really, I was more of a bystander to that diagnosis when it happened. Um, I don't remember the day, I don't remember, like, I really don't remember, I just remember that was like a new word, you know, to describe, to describe G, especially like at during that time was Asperger's, you know, it's just like, yeah. okay, your brother has Asperger's. And I was like, okay, cool. Bet. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, that's kind of uh, how I was like in the very beginning too. I was like, I didn't really know much about it. Of or, course. Yeah. Right. Cause it's like what I was saying, you know, like even when you were diagnosed, you weren't like catapulted into no. the neurodivergent community. You know, no. it took a while, took other experiences and other journeys, you know, and I think, what would be really cool, just like my last thought that I had was when we were talking about, you know, uh, academia and like the research community being dominated by researchers that may have some ties to neurodivergent people, but are neurodivergent um, and, yeah. you know, are pretty psycho, like psychopathologize a lot of information. Um, it would be really cool to see society and legislation implement ways in which they can make it easier for autistic people to be uplifted and encouraged to enter those fields as well you know because i remember you know you had tremendous difficulty not difficulty in school with the content you were actually yeah it was the system harder than you know a lot of people but like they didn't accommodate no and that's the problem yeah and 
essentially, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, that's what made you drop out, you know? Like, yeah. And I think that that is so, that is doing such a disservice to our citizens. And I think that I, in the future, I hope to see more inclusivity and to see more artistic researchers and to see yeah. people being uplifted into careers that maybe society has deemed not uh, appropriate or yeah yeah exactly yeah it's um it's frustrating because that's a the huge problem with the educate one of the problems with the education system now is that uh but at least when it relates to neurodivergence um or neurodistinct students they are not accommodating enough and they right sadly a lot of um professors and principals and you know directors and such uh universities um they don't even expect the autistic people or the neurodistinct people to succeed so they don't even you know put proper accommodations they don't even try and and there are so many neurodistinct individuals that would thrive you know that would be a thousand percent yeah and so, I have no doubt in my mind about that. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's one of those things we need to change the narrative about. And um, another thing, it's just, I mean, it speaks to a larger question also about how, you know, even high support needs autistics like we were talking about, you know, they can communicate too. They have their platforms too. Like a lot of people... Um, you know, this happens because I'm an actor as well, as you know, and... Um, <laughs> I see, like, in the film industry, there's still also a very stigmatized uh, view of autism. And so people that want to make films about autism, um, they think, you know, particularly if they want a high support needs uh, character, they don't realize that there are high support needs working autistic actors out there. And, right. and and they always assume they have to cast the neurotypical. I heard something recently. I mean, this has actually happened many times, of course, in the film industry. But, you know, um, I was actually recently put in touch with someone through a friend from my acting school um, that is planning. He is a director and he's planning to do a film um, with an autistic character. And, of course, I'm really glad that... Uh, she reached out to me to make that connection and that I could connect with him. And what's more important to me even, like it's not even just getting the role. Like if I don't get this role, but if I end up just teaching him a little more about autism, so he has a better idea, you know, he has more understanding of it and, and hopefully a better portrayal as well. And, and that would be more important to me than, than if I get the role or not. Um, and that's what makes you one of the greatest. Yeah, well, thank you. I, <laughs> no, but I, I completely agree with you. That's right, right on the nail. Thanks. Yeah. Um, well, I have, those are all the questions I wanted to ask. I know we're at 43 minutes, so... Um, I will let you go, but thank you for coming on. This was fantastic. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, you know, thanks again. Yes, absolutely my pleasure. This was such a fun time, and there's still so much to be discussed, but I'm glad that we covered really important bases. 
Um, thank you for having me. And thank you for creating this awesome platform for neurodivergence and neurotypicals alike. And yeah, thanks, G. Yeah. Um, thank you, listeners, for listening. Yes, thank you, everybody. Uh, stay tuned for the next episode. Hope you enjoyed it.